Amen. Well, I would ask you, if you would, if you're so inclined to turn in God's Word to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Genesis, chapter 41. And if you don't have a Bible, there are a lot of them there in the seats in front of you. Genesis is the first book in Scripture, and just uh, go there and find chapter 41. Or some of you might like to use your electronic device, you can just search at esv.org and then uh, look for Genesis chapter 41. But that's where we're at this morning, and the title of the sermon, From Groaning to Glory. From Groaning to Glory. Let me lead us in prayer as we look to God's Word. Our Father, indeed may our souls be satisfied in you alone. The fullness of your provision in the Lord Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, all you've revealed in your word. And as you speak your life-giving word now to us, calling us to taste and see that you are good, how I pray you would please strengthen and purify our faith and our delight in you. Pray that you would grant new birth, new life to those who are yet dead in their sins. And that you would grow your people in trusting and obeying the great treasure of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, that you'd help me now to faithfully proclaim your word for all of your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, since uh, Genesis chapter 37, the story has focused on a man named Joseph. He was the favored son of his father, Jacob. He was the hated punk, the hated kid by his 11 brothers. And all we've seen to this point in the story with Joseph is him being crushed down, down, down at the hands of many cruel, unfair, and uncaring people, including his brothers. Chapter 40, in fact, ends with Joseph being forgotten in a dungeon prison pit in the foreign land of Egypt, where he'd been sold into slavery at the age of 17. And now, in chapter 41, his life is suddenly transported from groaning to glory. And this long story, yes, I'm going to read it all in just a moment. This long story shows the mighty hand of God sovereignly working out His good and His loving and His saving purposes. So let's hear the living word of our living God. I'll start in verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. 
When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one will lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephenath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Azanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And just as a side note, it's now been 13 years since he first came to Egypt as a slave. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. And before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Azanoth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. What an absolutely amazing, unexpected, total reversal of fortunes fortunes for Joseph. And the story really magnifies this shocking turnaround by contrasting Joseph at the end of chapter 40, where he's alone and forgotten in a prison pit, with him now at the end of chapter 41, where he's exalted in Pharaoh's palace, and the whole world comes to Joseph for food. He's gone from groaning to glory. He's gone from being crushed to being crowned. He's gone from humiliation to exaltation. And the mighty hand of God has sovereignly done all of this for God's own good, far-reaching, and saving purposes. And beloved, through this story, God gives strong and I believe needed encouragement to all of his people in every age 
and in every circumstance. And the main lesson that we see in chapter 41, uh, really the take it and feed on it and don't ever forget it truth is this. Though you are crushed, God will exalt you. Though you are crushed, God will exalt you. And Joseph's experience here in chapter 41, and as it will continue beyond chapter 41, really illustrates the truth of what we hear stated in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, where Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may exalt you. You see, Joseph, indeed, by God's grace, humbled himself under God's mighty hand, and in due time, God exalted him. And that sense of exalting means God lifted him up. He raised him up out of his trials. Now, as we get into this this morning, there is a very important asterisk with this truth. In other words, the you that God will exalt is only you who are trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a very important asterisk to make note of. You who are humbling yourselves under God's mighty hand of saving grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're perhaps not trusting the Lord Jesus, there is no promise for God to exalt you. And no, sadly, in fact, to the contrary, this very moment, God opposes you. He condemns you. You're under his wrath. Now, I'm going to say more about this later because there's there's every hope even now for you to repent and to turn to Christ But unless you're trusting Christ, you are under his wrath. There is no promise for him to exalt you. But for now, what I want to do as we move into this text is to highlight five different elements that we see in chapter 41 of how God exalts his people, of how God will exalt you if you belong to him through faith, even though you presently may groan. So five elements of how God will exalt you, even though you presently groan. Here's element number one. God will exalt you in his perfect way and time. God will exalt you in his perfect way and time. Now, if you were with us last week, we saw this in chapter 40. God always remembers and he always keeps both his promises and his people, in his way and in his time. And you see, God exalted Joseph at the proper time according to God's perfect timetable. And God did this in his own sovereign, perfect way. Now think about this. If the cupbearer would have remembered Joseph to Pharaoh two years earlier as Joseph had appealed to him to do so, as we read about and as we see in chapter 40, if the cupbearer would have remembered Joseph at that time, which would have been Joseph's time, he would have been released from prison, 
when Joseph thought it was the proper time. And if that would have happened two years earlier, if he would have been released from prison, he most likely would have immediately returned to Canaan, to his homeland and to his family. At a minimum, if he would have been released, he certainly would have been nowhere to be found when Pharaoh had his perplexing dreams. But you see, God knew and God designed and God orchestrated the exactly perfect way and time for Joseph to not only be released from prison, but to be exalted to Pharaoh's right hand in authority over Egypt. And we need to understand at this time, Egypt was the most prosperous, powerful nation in the world. And Pharaoh was the most powerful, influential world leader. And so suddenly, in God's perfect timing, he makes this unknown Hebrew slave become second in command in the world superpower nation of Egypt. And oh, how we see the mighty hand of God all over this story, don't we? He's ruling everything here. God sovereignly had given Joseph his own double dreams of future, future exaltation when he was 17 years old. We read about that in chapter 37. And God sovereignly ordained all of Joseph's crushing, groaning circumstances over 13 years, leaving him forgotten in prison. And then God sovereignly ordained the dreams that the cupbearer and the baker had, as we read of in chapter 40. And then two years later, God sovereignly gave Pharaoh his own double dreams. And then God sovereignly exposed the powerlessness and the ignorance of all of Egypt's magicians and wise men. They could not interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then God sovereignly brought Joseph back to the memory of the cupbearer. And then boom, 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 it happens so quickly when it's God's time, he takes Joseph out of prison and he sovereignly enables him to correctly interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then Joseph is immediately coronated in Pharaoh's palace. It's amazing. One pastor observed that God often works very, very slowly as he did in Joseph's life, but then he works very, very quickly when it's the right time. Oh, beloved, we ought always, shouldn't we, to trust the wisdom and the sovereignty and the goodness of our God. His ways and his timing are perfect. And so humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He is worthy to be trusted. Humbly say, as King David said in Psalm 131, verse 1, he says, O Lord Yahweh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And we should rest and rejoice in the truth of passages like Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Humbly entrust, beloved, all of your desires, all of your hopes, all of your longings to him. He knows what is best for you better than you do. Like Joseph, keep trusting and obeying God, doing what is good in the circumstances in which he's placed you. He will exalt you in his own perfect way and in his own perfect time. 
He will bring you out of whatever groaning he's ordained for you. And as you do that, lay hold of this second element that we see also in chapter 41. And here it is. God will exalt you beyond your wildest dreams. God will exalt you beyond your wildest dreams. And remember, the you is those who are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about Joseph's wild dreams when he was 17 years old. Again, we learn of these back in chapter 37. When God prophetically revealed to Joseph through these dreams that one day he who was the second youngest of 12 brothers, one day he would rule over his whole family, all of them bowing down to him. At that time, could Joseph have fathomed what this meant, let alone how this would come about? Now, by the way, as a little side note, in former times, God often did speak to people through dreams and other means. But as we find in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 in the New Testament, he tells us there that he has now fully spoken to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. And because we have God's complete revelation in the 66 books of Scripture given by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus himself promised, God no longer speaks in these same ways to people through dreams. God now speaks through what he has spoken by his Holy Spirit. That's a little side note, just so you don't go to bed tonight with wrong expectations. So anyways, God prophetically spoke to Joseph at this time in chapter 37 through dreams that, again, must have seemed wild and absolutely inconceivable to him. And then in chapter 41, when his dreams begin to be fulfilled, it must have boggled his mind beyond imagination. And we read this story and we hear this story with amazement Joseph must have lived it with amazement. I mean, he wakes up one day and he's a forgotten prisoner and he goes to bed as royalty. It's mind-boggling beyond his wildest dreams. Now, here's a very important key to keep in mind. In speaking of Joseph's wildest dreams, we're not talking about dreams in the Americanized, consumeristic, materialistic, self-centered way that we usually think of dreams. And you know the thinking. We hear these things. Follow your dreams. Make your dreams a reality. Achieve your dreams. And on it goes. No, we're not talking about self-generated, self-determined dreams. Rather, what we're talking about and what we see with Joseph are God-given, God-determined revelation of his will and of his destiny for his people. And this is what God gave to Joseph with his dreams. And again, for us, God's revelation is completed in the 66 books of his holy word. But what a vision of his will and his destiny, of, of the future that he has for his people. It's beyond anything we can imagine. It's beyond our wildest dreams. 
And that's the point that I'm trying to stress here. In the same way that the fulfillment of God's promises to exalt Joseph was beyond his wildest dreams, so the fulfillment of God's promise to exalt we who are his people is beyond our wildest dreams. We can only imagine. Now, please understand this. God's design for the unique, specific, earthly exaltation of Joseph was in this very specific historical moment, it was directly tied to God's sovereign purposes and promises, as we're going to see in a few moments. In other words, I am not saying that God's people should expect to be exalted in an earthly way like Joseph. Not saying that at all. There's nothing wrong, ultimately, with having legitimate desires and ambitions and hopes before the Lord, but there's no promise that we're going to be exalted on this earth, in this life, the way Joseph was. But I am saying that God has promised to exalt his people in eternity, just like we heard earlier from 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Eternal exaltation with the Lord Jesus Christ must ever be the horizon of our hope. And whatever God chooses to do with our lives on earth, it's in eternity, beloved. It's in eternity that he will lift us. He will raise us. He will exalt us from our sufferings and our groanings. And it will be beyond our wildest dreams. Beloved, trust God's vision for your future. Whatever he may ordain in your life now, trust his vision for the future. Did you hear what Paul said in Romans 8 verse 18 that was read earlier? He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, here it is, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's in essence saying it's beyond our wildest imaginations. Or he declares similarly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's beyond our wildest dreams. Or as he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Beloved, when God exalts you out of your trials, ultimately in eternity, it will be beyond your wildest dreams. So I just ask this morning, where is the horizon of your hope? Again, there's nothing wrong with having reasonable desires and longings for all kinds of things that encompass life on this earth. But where's the ultimate horizon of your hope? Is it bound up on earth? Or is it bound up with the Lord and His glory in heaven? Friends, it's beyond our wildest dreams. And that's where He would have our hope to be. Well, connected with this, we see a third element of how God will exalt his people, of how God will exalt you. 
if you belong to him through faith. And that is this. Number three, God will exalt you within his sovereign saving purposes. God will exalt you within his sovereign saving purposes. Now we've seen this continually throughout Genesis. God powerfully at work to accomplish his sovereign saving purposes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for his sovereign purposes. He commanded mankind to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it for his sovereign purposes. And as we read in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin corrupted all of creation, God's sovereign saving purposes yet prevailed. In fact, the whole story of Genesis, really the whole story of all of Scripture, is about God's sovereign purposes to bring the blessing of His salvation to undeserving sinners. Now in Genesis, we might say the epicenter of God's sovereign saving purposes is declared in chapter 12. Verses 1 to 3, when he calls and reveals his will, his purposes to a man named Abram, who would eventually be called Abraham. And so God commands and promises him there by saying in chapter 12, verse 1 and following, Go, he says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Beloved, this is the purpose of God, his blessings to the nations which he then, from chapter 12 on, keeps preserving and keeps advancing through Abraham, and then through Abraham's son Isaac, and then through Isaac's son Jacob, and now flowing all the way downstream to Jacob's son Joseph. And all of these promises and all of these blessings ultimately culminate in the salvation that he accomplishes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point for us to see here is that Joseph's life, consider all of his groaning and now the beginning of his exaltation to glory, the point to see is that it's not ultimately about Joseph. No, it's about what God is doing to advance his sovereign saving purposes. So in other words, God's purposes in exalting Joseph certainly included Joseph, but God's purposes went far beyond Joseph. And in time, Joseph himself would continue to come to see this ever more fully. In fact, in chapter 45, a few years after the initial events of chapter 41, when Joseph is providentially reunited with his brothers, and remember again their earlier hate and cruelty toward him, But there in chapter 45, verse 7, here's what Joseph says to them. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. 
And you see, what Joseph is acknowledging is that God has his sovereign saving purposes for what he's doing and what he's done in my life. It's to preserve you who are God's people. It's to preserve his purposes for you, he says, to keep alive many survivors. And ultimately, again, this is pointing to the redemption, to the salvation that God is going to bring about through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God exalted Joseph within his sovereign saving purposes. Again, Joseph's life wasn't about his own purposes. It wasn't about his agendas or his plans or his ambitions. It was about God and his sovereign saving purposes. As Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 states, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. All of our lives, it's about God's purposes. It's about his agenda. It's about his sovereign saving purposes. And so beloved, like Joseph, you and I who belong to him by faith through his grace, we are precious to God and cared for by him. And as our wise and loving father, he ordains all of our trials and all of our groanings. And in his way and in his time, he will exalt us. He will lift us up out of our groaning into his eternal glory in Christ. But you see, also like Joseph, God's sovereign saving purposes include us, but they go far beyond us. In fact, as Paul the apostle says in Ephesians 1 verse 11, we've been predestined, he's talking about believers, we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so, beloved, God will exalt you within his sovereign saving purposes. Well, this leads to a very deeply connected fourth element for us to see. God will exalt you according to his promises. He will exalt you according to his promises. And God's rock-solid promises flow from his sovereign and saving purposes. Now, the promises that God made to Abraham really expanded the promise that God had first made all the way back in chapter 3, verse 15, after Adam and Eve had sinned. And God's promise there was that an offspring from the woman would come who would crush the offspring of the serpent. Well, God further expanded and preserved his promises through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob. And these promises then were what informed and what undergirded young Joseph's faith. And then the double dreams that God gave Joseph in chapter 37 were specific promises for him. Again, they were connected to God's purposes. And so all of this is working together to continue to strengthen Joseph's faith. And so when all of Joseph's trials, troubles, and groanings come upon him, as painful and as perplexing as all of it must have been. It was Joseph's faith in the promise of God that enabled him to persevere and to flourish within such adversity. And certainly he grew as a young man to all the more fully and humbly 
trust God's promises and to wait on God to do what he had promised. Now, Joseph didn't have a lot of alternatives, obviously. He was stuck in a dungeon prison pit. But certainly through that, he was learning to wait. He was learning to trust. And God was refining and deepening his humility and his faith. And Joseph learned to humbly not try to explain or figure out God's sovereign, wise, mysterious ways. Now, I know none of us struggle with that, do we? We're trying to figure out what God may be doing at any given moment in our lives. Well, Joseph seems to have not been too worried about that. He was trusting God's promises. He lived on God's promises by faith. And that's what you and I must do, beloved. I love what Pastor Warren Wearsby, who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago, what he says. He says this, we do not live on explanations. We live on promises. Write that one down. We do not live, you don't have to write it down, I'm just encouraging you. You get the point. But that, I mean, you can go to sleep with that. We don't live on explanations, we live on the promises of God. That's what Joseph was doing. How true that is, how hard that is to do, is it not? How hard it is. But as we've heard in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, God promises to exalt us at the proper time. And think about this as well, how many more precious and very great promises we have than what Joseph had. And so we're called to live by faith in God and his promises, not to live by sight. We're to trust fully in all that God has promised to do in his way and in his time. You see, genuine faith is, as we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's the assurance of things hoped for, it's the conviction of things not seen, all based on God's promises. And so be humble, beloved. Be humble and believe all God's promises and obey all God's commands as you wait for him to exalt you into the eternal glory of his son. Well, this brings us then to the fifth and the final element that we see, and it is this. God will be with you as you wait to be exalted. God will be with you as you wait to be exalted. For Joseph, it's in chapter 39 that we hear repeatedly, both at the beginning and at the end of the chapter, that God was with him throughout all he suffered. It was unfair, it was cruel, it was wicked for his brothers to ultimately have him sold into slavery in Egypt. And then as he's in Egypt and he's serving faithfully in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar, He resists the seductive temptations from Potiphar's wife only to be falsely accused by her of trying to rape her. And as a result of that, he's thrown into this prison. That's what chapter 9 tells us, I'm sorry, chapter 39 tells us about that whole story. But what's being emphasized there is that even within all these wicked, cruel, harsh things, God is with Joseph. He's with him as Joseph waits for God to make good on his promises. And so despite the painful, lonely, unfair circumstances that God ordained for him, God never, 
God never abandoned Joseph. God's grace was constantly sufficient for Joseph, helping him, sustaining him, and providing for him. And God strengthened him, and God comforted him. Just listen to one place there in chapter 39 where it's spoken of, verse 21. But the Lord, Yahweh, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What a beautiful statement. How wonderful. How assuring. Nothing in Joseph's circumstances. This is the key. Nothing in Joseph's circumstances... Nothing coming from Joseph's enemies and nothing even of Joseph's own sin and weaknesses could separate him from God's presence and from God's love. God was constantly with and sufficient for Joseph as Joseph was learning to humbly wait for the fulfillment of all God promised. And you see, beloved, if you're in Christ, the same is true for you. The same is true for you. Jesus has promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, for example, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We hear also in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, which is actually quoting uh, God's promise from Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. But we hear there God saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, verse 6 of Hebrews 13 goes on to say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can God do to me? Beloved, right now, right now, God knows the intimate, specific details of your situation. He knows it even more fully than you do because he sees it all. He knows, and he knows your groaning, and he knows your pain, and he knows your tears, and he knows your perplexity, and he knows your trouble. Do you know? that he's present with you and that he will never leave you if you've come to faith in Christ. He can no more let you out of his grip than he can cease to be faithful to who he is and to all that he's promised. Nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing will separate you from his grace. It is always sufficient for all that you need, for all of your future hope, and for all of your present needs. So keep humbly casting your cares on him, as we're told in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, in the assurance and the confidence of his constant care for you. Beloved, though you are crushed, maybe you are now, maybe you've been in the past, maybe you will be in the future, it's a reality in life in this earth, though you are crushed, if you are his through, through faith in Christ, he will exalt you. And this is the lesson of Joseph's experience. God will exalt you not in the same earthly way that he exalted Joseph, but when God determines best, he will raise you, he will lift you out of your groanings into his eternal glory in Christ, beyond your wildest dreams. He will exalt you in his perfect way in time, 
He'll exalt you, as I said, beyond your wildest dreams, within his sovereign saving purposes, according to his promises, and he will be with you now as you wait to be exalted. And so humble yourselves under his mighty hand. Now, I said earlier, toward the beginning, there is this important asterisk with this truth. Again, the you that God will exalt are only you who are humbly trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're not trusting him, God will not exalt you. Uh, To the contrary, again, he condemns you. He opposes you. Even now, Scripture declares that you are under his wrath, and justly so because of your sin and your guilt, just as it was true for any of us. And your need, friend, is to humbly confess your sin before God, to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple and yet as profound as that because it means you turn away from trusting yourself and you trust only in Christ. And so the hope and the promise and the warning of the gospel, of the good news, is summed up many places throughout Scripture. One of those would be John chapter 3, verse 36, where we hear these words, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you've never repented and trusted Christ, believe on him now. What keeps you from turning to him now and receiving the eternal life that he promises, being forgiven of all of your sins, being reconciled to your creator, having a hope that is real and that is eternal? If you've never repented and believed on Christ, do so now, friend. Do so now. Well, as we draw this to a close, let me say this. The key, the key to understanding everything that's in Genesis chapter 41, I think is found in verse 32. You might look there. Where Joseph tells Pharaoh that the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. I think this is the key to the whole chapter. Now think about this. If the doubling dreams of Pharaoh were God's emphatic way of saying that the matter is fixed by him and he'll do it, then that also means that the same was true for the double dreams Joseph had so many years earlier in chapter 37. Now for Pharaoh and Egypt, the shortly of verse 32 The shortly meant 14 years of first plenty followed by famine. And for Joseph, of course, shortly would have meant the 13 years, maybe 14 years as you count them, uh, from when he was 17 to when he was 30, those 13 years of crushed groaning before he was raised to glory in Pharaoh's palace. Now here's the thing. If double dreams confirmed the certainty of God doing what he promised to do, how much more certain are God's manifold, multiplied promises that he's given to us in his word? Far more than just 
double dreams. It's manifold. It's multiplied his promises. So, beloved, do you hear the living triune God through his word speaking comfort, speaking assurance, speaking hope to your groaning soul through his word? God's promise to exalt you. God's promise to raise you up to his eternal glory in Christ. It is fixed by him. It is certain, it is absolute, and it will happen. So wait humbly, wait patiently, wait obediently on him, beloved. God will shortly bring it about. Amen and amen. Lead us in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your care for us. You are in Christ, the good shepherd who speaks to us your voice, who feeds us with that which you know is so necessary for our souls. You lead us beside the still waters of all of your grace and mercy and provision and promises in Christ, and you ever nourish us. God, whatever your intention has been for each one in the hearing of your word now, may faith indeed be strengthened and purified. Perhaps for some, coming to saving faith for the first time, may that be a reality that they might know the hope and the joy, the peace and the assurance of life in you with all of your blessings secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for your love and faithfulness, and we entrust all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.